Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO Podcast. If you're a chief executive or if you think like one and you want to create exponentially greater impact, then this show is for you. My name is Richard Medcalf, founder of Xquadrant. I coach some of the most successful and impressive CEOs and executive teams on the planet and help them achieve even more extraordinary results. Because no matter how successful you've been in the past, there's always a whole new level of impact available to you. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Richard Rankin, who is the Chief Executive of H&H Group. Now, H&H Group is actually a pretty interesting business. It's a diversified group of companies ranging from digital marketing to uh, livestock auctioneering in the rural economies and uh, a variety of other businesses in between. And when he arrived uh, as chief executive from actually a very different background from a corporate finance background, uh, he suddenly realized that he had to... Uh, perhaps create synergies and bring these businesses together in new ways. And so in the conversation today, we explore the personal mission that he was on and and that took him from being a consultant with Deloitte and um, majoring on corporate finance into this rural world, which he didn't know before, and into the chief executive role, and what propels him onwards. And then tactically, what did he do to start to integrate and solidify and perhaps turn around some of the businesses. So this is a really interesting conversation. You know, very often I talk with tech entrepreneurs or tech leaders. This is very different, but I think so many of the same leadership principles apply. And Richard's got a real vision and he's very charismatic and a very genuine and honest person. And I think that really comes out and is the secret of his success. So enjoy this conversation with Richard Rankin of H&H Group. So Richard, hi and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Hey, this is going to be a fun one because this is a little bit different, right? You are the chief executive of H&H Group. So first of all, it's a group there's, and you have multiple businesses that you run. I know you had a background in corporate finance and now you find yourself um, of the, as a chief executive of a group which includes digital marketing businesses, printing businesses and, and livestock auction auctioneering businesses right so uh very rural sense but not in everything right digital marketing is is, is is again very different so i'm really curious to find out a little bit about what what got you into this uh what drives you as a leader and and what is you know, what's been some of your learnings over the, the last four or five years when you or even more since you've been mm-hmm. uh, in the role so i'm looking to dive in so why don't you tell us yeah in your own words what is H and H Group, uh, what, and how do you how do you explain that when you're talking to people? Uh, not easily is probably the answer. Yeah, and take a deep breath. Uh, it is a group of companies. Uh, I guess the other unusual thing which I didn't mention is it's a non quartered PLC. You know, so we have some origin of 1,100 shareholders in uh, who, who own the group. Inside the group, there are four key trading companies, but there are probably several uh, uh, trading divisions within inside of those. The key, the biggest one, as it all born out of, was livestock auctioneering. So that that is the Mr. Harrison and Mr. Hetherington, the H and H. They they formed this auctioneering business, and that has been hugely successful in its time. 
Uh, out of that are spun related industries, related to revenue streams. So things like land agency, advising the farmer around application for grants, protection of land, et cetera, et cetera. That's grown. Alongside that came a state agency. And then on top of that, again, we're linked to that rural sectors, protecting that, the customer. So our insurance broking arm was born as well. And that's, that's grown. It's now not solely uh, rural. It also does commercial and other aspects of insurance broking. Uh, and then finally, and probably a little bit of an outlier, is a printing company. What It used to be just a printing company, and that's why it was acquired around about 10 years ago, because I think H&A were its biggest customer. And right. they, I think they used to did have an in-house printing business. They scrapped that, used Reeds, and then became Reeds' biggest customer and decided to buy them and bring it back in-house. Okay. And that's grown into a, a signage maker, a very successful one, uh, and now more recently into the digital area where web development, app development, and digital marketing and creative. Okay, so that last bit is a little bit more my comfort zone because, you know, I do, do a lot of work with people in tech, not exclusively, not exclusively, uh, but it's fascinating, right, you, that you have this, this range. And so I'll be provocative, right? You know, you had a corporate finance background, mm-hmm. Um, you probably never, you know, grew up, you know, you probably never daydreamed as a child when you would grow up, you wanted to run a livestock auctioneering business, right? So, like, I'll be provocative. Did you just go into this because you saw that there was a big fat check to make, right? Which, which is fine. Or is there, like, you know, is there something else that's driving you or that drove you to say, this is, this is something I really want to engage in? So I was just, I'm wondering what's going on there. And obviously any answer is fine, but I wanted to kind of, explore what's you know what's the what's the relationship here between mission yeah. and uh, and profit right and, and how, yeah. how do you see those playing out yeah uh, if, if it was the former i'm still waiting for that check because it hasn't happened yet <laughs> <laughs> i think there's, there's all these things is it's very rarely the financial aspect that drives you and, and it wasn't certainly for me it's it an unusual set of circumstances actually i was approached because my um my predecessor uh i had advised him on a few deals and transactions in the past and when he was moving on, he put my name into the hat and I was contacted by uh, the recruitment people who, who, were, who were fulfilling this post. And at the time, I was busy having um, a monumental fallout in my in my past business with a, a managing partner who, who did not share my values, really. Uh, and, and this looked extremely interesting to me. For the first time, uh, I was my interest was peaked to move out of the profession. Uh, and and the, I understood the company, I understood the group because I'd advised it in the past. In fact, I sold them reads, interestingly, uh, back in the day. So I, I was the person who sold right. uh, that company to them after two years earlier doing the management buyout with that business. I then sold it on to h and So I had a bit of history with the business. I understood the business. I had never set foot in an auction mart in my life. Uh, I had uh, nothing, no relation to farming ever at all either. But I was invited to come along to an interview and I decided at the time I would turn up uh, just purely as myself, not an advisor, not trying to be a chief mm. exec, just turn up uh, and, and really sort of wear my values on my sleeve uh, and, and, and give them who I was and, and how I would look to run a business. Uh, and I, I talked to the chairman afterwards, uh, post appointment, and he said he, he knew immediately uh, he was the kind of person I wanted in the business. Very, very different from my predecessor, a complete change in personality type. And for me, the, the, the interest was the challenge it was going to bring. I knew it wasn't a, a one-trick pony. I knew it had a, a quite a few companies and revenue streams in its, in, its, uh, in its armory. And that would keep me interested. I, I like, I, you've been around long enough, you figure out what you enjoy. And I enjoy challenge. And I knew this was going to bring some challenge because it's such a diverse set of companies 
it's such a diverse set of people. It's roughly around 300 people in a business. Uh, and I could see it had steeped in heritage, but it, it hadn't embraced the future. So I saw that as my challenge, really. Right. Yeah, it's... it's um... Yeah, it's interesting. I'm I'm curious. You know, what were the values, right? What what when you said I'm going to wear my values on my sleeve? What, what me, uh, I, I don't even know if it's a real word, but I'll talk about genuineness. <laughs> I don't think it's a real word, but it's to me, it's absolutely being you, bringing yourself all of the time. And you know, we all go through an early part of our career trying to fit in and wearing the right mask and behaving in the right way. Uh, and, and at some point in the last sort of you know five ten years, I figured out actually. I can do better if I stop trying to fit in and just be me and just decide, actually, you know what? Let's stand up for what I believe for. Let, let's, let me drive a business or lead an office. I've led offices before in the past. Um, and, and what I found out, the more I relaxed into my style, the better that office did, the more people related to me, the better the team got behind me. And then, then that starts building a bit of self-belief and you're thinking, actually, Maybe I do know what I'm talking about because you spend most of your time thinking you're just pretending and, uh, and the whole imposter syndrome going on. And that, 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 that essentially drives my, that's my main value really to be, to be genuine, to be upfront. Uh, and I like people know I ask difficult questions. People know I like all of the truth no matter how ugly on the table because only then can you sort of start thinking about how to solve a problem. You've got everything on it. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. So I, mean, I think what I hear from this story is you were recommended for this role by the founder. Yeah. And so what was it about you that he had spotted that made him say, we should get this guy in? Because yeah. you've worked with him in the past. It's really interesting, right? Because it's often as we're doing the things which we sow the seeds of our future in all these interactions that we don't even realize often. So I'm wondering yeah. what seeds were you sowing as you went through that? Interesting. I never asked him that question. Maybe I didn't dare. I don't know. But interesting, the way we grew a bit closer was when I sold him uh, reads. I was obviously on the other side of the transaction, selling it to him, and he had his advisors. And um, it was it got a bit heated towards the end of a transaction, as these things always do, and a little bit of argy bargy, uh, especially around the completion table, which was unexpected. Um, and, and, and they tried to throw in a few um, curveballs, which I resisted. Right. And after the deal, a couple of days later, he rang me up to congratulate me on the deal. And, uh, and he just said, um, okay, next time I want to do a transaction, will you, will you advise me? Will you be on my side? I took that as a huge compliment, actually. Uh, so so absolutely, of course I would. And it wasn't very long. It, wasn't, it was only a couple of years later, two, three years later, they had a quite a sizable transaction for this company, uh, buying another non-quarter PLC, another uh, auction business up in uh, South Scotland and in Northumberland as well. And so I, I got involved in, during the course of that deal and helped him along uh, throughout that deal, really, and various elements. It was quite a, a, a complex deal at the time. Yeah. Uh, and we sort of just, I think he grew to trust me, he grew to trust my judgment. That I, I, I sort of wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit and I say it how it is. I don't, I do, I'm not, I'm maybe not your typical corporate finance advisor. I don't really bullshit very much. I just say it how it is. And you like it a lump it, to be honest. And I prefer all my transactions like that. It is, I'll be very honest, uh, good or bad. I'll be you know, honest about how great it is. And I won't try and hide that. But I'll also be honest if I find there's problems, I'll get them out on the table straight away. Yeah, there's something here about positioning. Often people talk about, you know, positioning. And this, this, it can be useful to think in those terms. But there's actually a sense of like, just bring the real deal. Like, you know, bring 
just contribute to your maximum yeah. and people will get the value you know sometimes I think we can over worry about how it's going to be perceived and what are we saying and, and how mm. we're positioning ourselves and there's a moment for some of that but actually you know he saw the contribution that you were making the you know the, the trustworthiness and all the rest of it that's what I'm picking up so yeah yeah I like to think so yeah absolutely so let's, let's jump in so now you're in the business you've been there for a few years what's the mission that you're on within that business that's that's a good one I think personally wise I look at think of this personally Mm -hmm. I'm very much about testing myself a little bit really Uh, and I had other opportunities in front of me before I took this role um, which were really challenging and interesting but they were steeped in actually what I knew so I had an element of comfort zone to it now this this jumping into a chief exec role with no past experience of chief executing uh, was very much a leap into the unknown I took lots of advice off friends and, and talked to a lot of people and get sought advice and everyone seemed to point to me that this this has got my name written all over it and and I would I would set I would settle into it and I I would it would suit me and 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 bizarrely it has they've all been right I didn't believe them at the time but they've all been right that this very much feels like a home to me now this position anyway Uh, and I really I very much enjoy this sort of position which is trying to trying to drive the best out of people and I see that as my mission is to make people fly, really, mm-hmm. to take out roadblocks, take out perceived roadblocks and real ones, uh, and, and give them permission to experiment as well. Give them mm-hmm. permission to jump a little bit higher, a little bit further, uh, and, and create. There's obviously always going to be a safety net beneath them. But yeah, it's really trying to. I, I enjoy coaching and pushing people. That that's something that's always driven me. So I guess my mission is to lead from the heart, be the very best I can be, and see what I'm capable of mm. inside an organization like this or any other organization and see what I'm capable of and, and what, what kind of team could I possibly create? Right. Yeah, I mean, that's where I wanted to go next, which was about the legacy, right? So, like, imagine you leave, you know, in, I don't know, pick a period, you know, a few years' time, for some reason, you, just, you know, you, you move on. What would you love to look back and say, that's what I managed to create? To me, it absolutely goes back to creating that high-performing team that can fly without me. And I said this to my exec team when I, within the first year or so of being here and I started bringing them together as a team. I hadn't really been done that before. And I said, you know, my personal mission here is that you all become better than me. If you're all better than me, my job here is done. And I can move on happy. So I guess I feel that's a little bit of, if I had a legacy, that would be it. That actually I can walk away and the board has much an easier job to look at someone for replacement. You know, the, 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 so they have a high performing exec team. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's a subject close to my heart. You know, I spend quite a lot of my time working with exec teams. And it's really interesting because many of them, you know, starts off as what I call them teams of high performers, right? I mean, groups of high performers. They're, mm. they're each a great functional manager, um, they know their they know their line of business. They, they know their their competency zone. But actually, creating this cohesion and strategic focus and a sense of having a shared objective and running the business rather than running their function is quite a shift for people. So I'm wondering what's been your experience on that journey. Oh, that, that, that's a great one, and it's been um, I wouldn't say difficult because it makes it sound like uh, you know, I've really had to push quite hard because I haven't. But it's it's been quite long, a long journey because come into a I think one of the biggest challenges I found when I got here was the how 
wildly different the style of leadership I brought here than my predecessor. Um, and you know, I'm not going to argue what's better or what's worse. Their culture was very much that command and control, and that and that worked for them absolutely. Uh, that's that's absolutely not my way of doing things. I I could, I'm the opposite side of the coin really, and I'm all about freedom and empowerment and make your own mistakes and learn from them. Key bit being learn from them. Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. Absolutely, everyone makes mistakes. It's what you do next that defines you. And that's kind of one of the phrases I carry around with me. Um, so that that journey, I hate using that word, but the, the progression they've made uh, is actually been quite long from where they from the starting point. And this is again, this is not their fault. It's just it's the culture that was there. So to to take that beginning and. and if people use the easy analogy, the flea in the jar, and you know, once once if they've been there long enough, you take the lid off the jar, they still only jump the height of the jar because that's all they've been in trained to do. So I, I walked in and took all the lids off and went, go on then. And everyone just didn't know. It just looked lost in the headlights a little bit. So mm-hmm. I, I had to rethink and go, why is everybody not jumping higher? I don't understand. So then I thought, well, I'll hang on a minute. I need to go back to basics and start talking about what does leadership mean to them? Let's let's take it back to actually just sit down in a room and, and, and talk about what does leadership mean? What, what do they feel they're good at? What are they not so good at? Uh, what would it look like to them, a good leader leading their business, a good leader in my, in my shoes? What would that look like as well? How would that relationship work? Yeah. And it, that's that's not something that happened over a period of a few months. It's an evolution, and it's, it's absolutely taken two or three years to get there. Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to make make the point that it's, it's over a period, right? It definitely is. And I think your point around learning from mistakes is worth picking up on because sometimes we talk about failing fast and, you know, celebrating mm-hmm. failure. And actually, it's not celebrating failure. It's celebrating learning. Yeah. And I like to say you either have, either have a performance culture or a learning culture. You can't actually have both because... Mm-hmm. Performance means that you've got a rule book, it's very clear, it's static, and you know the game you're playing exactly, mm. and you're measuring against that. Um, but actually, you know, a learning culture means that the world's changing, we're changing, and it's the game, the game is how fast can we learn and create value mm. in that changing context. And it's a mm. nice way of looking at it. Um, because uh, it messes with people's thinking because they want to they want to be high performing right but i'd say well perhaps it's high value creating you know it's highly mm-hmm. adaptive there's all these other ways of looking at it obviously the goal is performance in some long-term way yeah but it takes the pressure off did you perform in this week you know in this moment in this decision yeah or, or did you do the best you could and you know that's that's fine, right? If you yeah, I, I very much so. I know you put that very well, actually. And, and this fits in a, kind of one of my ethos as well as about, you know, Simon Sinek's infinite game. Yeah, That's something I carry around a lot. And, and it's not about, you're right, it's not about how you do in, in month one or, or month seven so, or, or even quarter three. It's actually, let's look at the long term as, as, as big a picture as you possibly can. I always talk about heading in the right direction. As long as I'm heading in the right direction, then I'm, I'm less bothered about uh, ultimate goals, uh, it's it's all about direction because there's there are always forces pushing you one way or another. So trying to define a goal, I think, potentially lead to the wrong behaviours that you're just going to achieve the goal, and, and and by the wrong the wrong methods. Actually, just moving in the right direction and listening to what's going on around you that that's more important. It's really interesting, actually. Um, there's a book that I've stumbled across recently. I haven't read it, but I read like the first chapter at this point. Uh, but basically, it's the case against objectives. Uh, yeah. And for all the reasons you said, 
when you have objectives, first of all, if people's compensation is tied to those objectives, well, that is now the game. Well, mm. that might that might not be the real game, right? Perhaps mm. we don't care about this year's revenues as much as we care about the long term success yeah. of this business, right? And we might undershoot this year only to have 10x next year. Mm. It's a different thing. Uh, and again, if people feel that they can only set goals that they are, are achievable, perhaps they won't go for the mm. inspiring things that could really be done. Mm. Um, and so on and so forth. It's quite interesting. Yeah. The goals are great. When you're looking for incremental things, like what you want to get done by the end of the week, they're great. But if you're talking yeah. about what you really want to achieve and what's really important, they might not actually be all they're cracked up to, which is kind of countercultural, right, in the, in, the, in the business world. And it's something I'm exploring a little bit to see. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I really agree with that, <laughs> uh, that concept. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very hard to describe and explain as, as a business concept to a board. But uh, I, I, I very much subscribe to that. Actually, you know, the, the window you look at needs to be as wide as you physically can make it. And it shouldn't even be a year. It should be sort of you know, four to five year windows you're looking at. And, and what difference have you made and where have you gone in that period? Absolutely. So what about your energy? You, you sound a very energetic person, but what drains, what excites you and what drains you? What will be the top biggest thing in your working week that gives you energy and what sucks it out of you? Uh, e- easily the one that gives me energy that probably falls into two camps uh, is one, the, the number of opportunities out there uh, in, in terms of the areas we touch as a business. And the, and the environment, the environment out there, the, the macroeconomic environment that that that's infl- that has a has a sort of it's it's seeing the direction we might take. So there's lots of factors out there in terms of obviously what what the, what the hell the government's doing with this food strategy, uh, their environmental strategy. Do we do we are we are we asking everyone to grow hedgerows and butterflies? Or are we trying to th- secure food in the country? There's, there's those kind of things going on. And, and opportunities around that as a business to be part of that bigger environment. I, I, I see my role is not standing looking inwards i see it standing looking outwards that, that, should, that should be chief executive really and um, so that that element just the the, the, the multitude of opportunities out there and, and th- seeing can I just, i'm going to interrupt i want to just catch that before you lose it yeah your role is looking outwards i think it's so important because many chief execs have come up from an operational view mm. end up, i think over rotating uh, it's, it's a fine balance right but i think mm. you can over rotate to the inward concerns and actually often say you have a chief operations officer let them do it Part of your, you know, a lot of your job is actually joining the dots, seeing beyond, yes. seeing where the rest of the organisation can't see. Yes, uh, being in conversations that the rest of the organisation can't be in. Yeah, exactly. Spotting I, I, the new, the new things, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, 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 I see my role is securing the future for my successor. Really, that, that's kind of I see, that's what I see my role as is that actually the things I want to set in place, I'll probably never benefit from. That's that's cool. That's fine. I, just, I can I can leave or do whatever, uh, and in safe in the knowledge that I, I know I've, I've set up that company, the business, the group, that it can continue for as long as possible. You know, ad infinitum, hopefully. So that's, that's, that, and that's my that's my role of looking outwards, absolutely, and, and spotting these opportunities. And that's really exciting. Spotting opportunities, business ideas. Maybe he's doing an acquisition here or, or expansion over there or setting up a new core inside a company, a new revenue stream inside a company. There, that, that's great and exciting. That energizes me a lot. And the other side, absolutely, is the people side. What will make me go home smiling? And, and you know, the first thing I'll tell my wife when I get there is I've had a great conversation, a great coaching conversation with somebody and watch a spark ignite in their eyes. There is nothing more satisfying than seeing someone just go, 
I get it. Or is, is seeing this idea creation come, uh, or seeing them understand how good they are, how good they could be. That that is hugely energizing, and, and uh, that's the kind of moments I live for, really. It's Richard here with just a quick interlude. If you're serious about multiplying your impact, I have a free resource that you won't want to miss. I've put together a short email course called Exponential Leadership Principles. In it, I set out how you can use the same strategies as some of the world's top leaders to get out of incremental progress and achieve breakthrough results. Be prepared to have your current thinking challenged and to learn some very new ways of leading. If you're interested in following along, simply sign up at xquadrant.com slash go slash exponential. Now back to the conversation. Yeah, that's why I do what I do as well, because that's yeah, the yeah. key thing. Yeah, beautiful. And what drains you? What are the things which strain you, slows you down? Um, yeah, I think um, probably back to the first one, the endless opportunities. <laughs> just, there are too many. And as I sit here and I scratch my head and go, am I just a busy fool sometimes, you know, and, and juggling too many opportunities and potential. And I had, interesting, I challenged the board on this at a strategy day we had just a few months ago that, you know, Board, I'm looking to you for some focus here. I've got, I've got a multitude of possibilities we've got in front of us here and, and paths we could go down. We had a look, good long discussion uh, and they added two or three extra. <laughs> so, like, thanks for that. <laughs> um, uh, not that it's draining, it, it, that can be sometimes wearing. And, and I'm very conscious that I do not want to skim the surface on anything. I want to do you know, proper. A proper job, really. You want to, you want to do a, a good job. On, and if you pick a project, it's got to be done right. And I quite like your phrase before, and I use it a bit about fail fast. If it's not going to work, give it a go. Don't be too big or too proud to say, that hasn't worked. Actually, you know what? I'm going to drop it. I'm going to move on to this one over here instead of because we're going to try this. Yeah. But you never would have known if you hadn't tried. So I always believe of actually, let's, let's not procrastinate. Let's go out there and try things. And if you make a couple of mistakes, well, back to the whole thing. As long as we learn from it then that's fine, you know, and this makes it a learning culture. So that, that, that in itself is just not so much in terms of a daily drain. That, that, that can, that's more of a long-term need yeah. to get that right as a chief exec and to do my job right, really. But I guess a small minor thing with it's draining is internal bickering between companies charging other companies how much for a piece of their service. So if someone company is charging something to, for, for them to, to help them out with something, and they start having arguments over internal pricing. Uh, and my my response to that is, you know, you could charge them a million pounds. It's not going to change the number in my consolidated PL in the bottom right hand corner. <laughs> it's not going to change that number at all. So just stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's uh, yeah. It's it feels important to them, but that's as far as it goes. Yeah. Uh, I want to just think back to that point around doing a proper job. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I get the idea of too many opportunities. It's the entrepreneurial dilemma often, right? We can see some yes. things. Um, the proper job, I understand what you're saying from that. My, my pushback a little bit would be to say sometimes if a thing's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. Okay. Because it's still worth doing, you know? So sometimes it's like just doing it. Yeah, and not and and seeing what happens. Yeah, um, which because you know, it, 
somebody else once said to me, you can't say to the you can't say the right thing to the wrong person, and you can't say the wrong thing to the right person, which is quite yeah. helpful when you're in customer conversation. It's like this is not the person you should be working with. Yeah. But no matter what you say, it's never going to be great. And actually, yeah. if they are, you can fluff, you can get it all wrong, but they're going to still resonate. Yeah. And in the same way, with 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 that with the good things, you know, doing it well, doing it badly. I knew, for example, when I started the podcast, like the first episodes were probably going to be really bad, right? And probably yeah. when I'm on my millionth, or my millionth, my <laughs> thousandth episode, right? I'm going to look back at this one and go, that was shocking, right? But yeah, yeah. You have to get going and create value as you can and yeah. then work from there. So I just put it out there because sometimes it's interesting to hear the words that we use. And when we start mm. to say things like, I want to do a proper job, do it right. It's just worth checking. Mm. Does that limit me? Does that make things harder than it could be? Mm. I think probably what I'm meaning there is, is committed to it rather than do it half-heartedly. But I totally agree. Someone once said, said to me, 80% is good enough. And it's right, actually, because I use the phrase diminishing returns a lot. You know, in anything, the graph starts to flatten out, doesn't it? And you can put a whole lot of extra effort in for very marginal gain. And uh, you've got to recognize that sometimes doing, you decide to do something, 80% is good enough. Yeah, very often, very often, mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, let's, let's, um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about how you mobilize people, right? Because you've got a complex setup, you've got multiple different companies. Mm. Um, you're, I guess you're trying to have some kind of vision for the group, um, as well as probably sub-visions for the individual companies. Mm. How do you go about communicating that or getting people aligned on that and generally kind of standing for something because as you come in as the group chief executive Mm. how do you connect to somebody who's actually in one of those businesses Mm. mobilize them I I think that was a huge challenge to to, to step into a business uh, where first of all the individual companies didn't really work didn't work together at all that weren't really aware of each other's challenges or weren't really aware who they were uh, and, and didn't have any sort of close connection. And, and there's no connection there. You know, that it's, it's, you've got quite an uphill task. So first of all, I built that exec team and it created some connection and a sense of belonging with them. And they, they genuinely care about each other, which is fantastic. Uh, what they've created there. Then, we tried to look at the group and said, and that's quite hard when you've got a group doing different with different companies doing different things to have a common vision. But we did get somewhere with a little bit of a, a, a commonality of, of a theme saying, right, actually what we're trying to do, let's, let's step, keep stepping up and up until that you really are uh, quite high looking down. What are we here for? Well, actually what we do and what helps me in sort of decisions I make that this vision and mission really is about adding value and protecting the economies we serve and predominantly they're rural economies. So if what I'm doing and I'm still around looking out the business, if, if the meetings I'm having, the conversations I'm having, the decisions I'm making are looking at protecting or adding value to that economy, then that sets me in the right direction. And that keeps me, that, I think that keeps me mm. in the right direction. And it's, and it's loose enough that every one of the companies inside the group can pick up on that and go, okay, now is my, my company vision, does that still align with sort of the group overall arching? Is, is, are we doing the right thing for the... The world out there so that 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 sort of group mission vision there took a long time to get there actually it took us probably a couple of years to get there to it 
Uh, but it was worth it was worth the journey, as that word again. But it was worth going through that yeah. to come up to make everyone goes. You know what? Actually, yeah, I, I now can sort of figure my company objectives, my company goals around. Does it slot in with the overall group overarching objective? So there was that side of it. I think the other side of it is just about to, just briefly touch on it's a little bit about. I found one of the big challenges walking in here. How do I then relate to everybody? How how do I have impact across such a diverse group, uh, you know, from people who uh, you know, literally herd animals in, in pens into a ring, from people, we have people with a cafe uh, on site, uh, public facing one as well as an internal one, and to people who are fully qualified charter surveyors. So you've got professional people through the manufacturing in the print sector, through to animal uh, uh, welfare in, in the, in the farming, uh, farm stock sector. So, I found that an, an interesting challenge and I decided to do just, just as I thought I, I always would when I first took up the role is just to be myself, but maybe just make an extra effort to display my values. So to really talk, talk, not stay in my office hidden here, to walk around, have conversations, be me, be what I normally do, just ask questions, go out there and ask hundreds and hundreds of questions with lots of people, customers and our people as well in the business. And uh, yeah, that was very much a bit of a culture shock. Uh, it resonated within the first month of me being here. And I heard whisperings of, why is Richard walking around? Why is Richard asking me this? Why is Richard asking this question? Why has he visited those people? Why is and there was a lot of that going on. Uh, and it was great. One of the best feedback was one of some of the girls in the cafe. They phoned up my PA at the time and said, wow, he's a real person. Because I went down and asked how the kids were. In, in, in a yeah. conversation, they're talking about the family. Well, oh, what, what you know, what are you kids are doing? What, what what stage are they at? Just because yeah. I'm I'm uh, yeah. innately curious all the time, uh, yeah. and uh, that that no one had ever asked them that question before. Yeah, yeah. What I hear is you've really turned up the dial. You know, on you know, you know what your values were, but you have they have to be seen, right? And you have to kind of turn up the intensity a bit, actually, and really yeah. over communicate that so people get the message. I'm a big believer that you cannot force people to follow you. They need to follow you of their own free will. And they need to follow something that, that, that means something to them and resonates something to them. Although, well, I can, all I can do here is be me. I'm, not, I'm never going to pretend to be something I'm not. So I will just be me. I'll dial it up a little bit and for the first few months, absolutely. But I'll yeah. just be me. Uh, and then it's up to them to make that decision whether they feel comfortable or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's beautiful. So let me let me let me move on. I want I want I'm just aware of time. Yeah. Let's get on to our quick fire questions. So, what's a favorite quote that you live by or that you you draw upon often? Uh, I do carry a few with me, but one one that resonates with you all the time, and I, don't, I couldn't tell you who said it, um, but it was one of my best friends. Um, it quoted it back at me. Oh, we're talking 20, 30 years ago now. Um, and it's all around that whole thing. You, you always get what you always got. But I just like the simplicity of nothing changes and nothing changes. I very much like that. Uh, and and the whole, that, that links to your definition of insanity in the, yeah. uh, do, doing the same things, expecting a different outcome, etc. But I just like the simplicity of nothing changes and nothing changes. So you, you can apply that and throw that in in a lot of uh, aspects of conversations, coaching that you're doing. Yeah. What's the favorite app that you turn to on your phone for productivity or or whatever for pr- productivity there's nothing really to be fair i'm, I'm not a huge mm-hmm. um, i'm not addicted to my mobile phone uh, the app i'll turn to the most is whatsapp because it's my only connection with my kids uh, who, who live with their mum 
Um, and, and I'm a big uh, user of Strava. <laughs> I do like Strava uh, and uh, all my fitness stuff. But other than that, no, I don't. I don't tend to try and get tied to apps. I, I'll I dip, I dip in and out. I'm, I'm, I'm very much. I, I, I do know as you get older, and, and you can recognise that uh, I have a short attention span. So I, I can, I can jump on something. Go, this is amazing, and two months later, I never use it again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. What about a book? Is there a book that's really influenced you as a leader? You know, I've thought about this a lot, actually. And again, I'm a bit like what I just said there, the short attention span. I've dipped in and out a lot of books and I, I like my information in snippets. It's, social media works well for me in that respect. So I can, you can jump into little snippets and, and little little podcasts, uh, little uh, YouTubes, etc. cetera. Um, and, and, I've, and I have read a lot of good books in terms of good to great and that kind of stuff. But one that really sticks with me, and it's not a business book at all, but it's the um, written by a guy called Rich Roll. American uh, ultra runner, uh, and he wrote a book called Finding Ultra. And it's uh, really the, the, it starts with a guy in his forties, uh, overweight, had an alcohol problem, and he suddenly had a, a blinding insight of what his future life was going to look like. So he went from that to only a few years later being uh, classed as one of the fittest men on the planet. And, and it's an amazing story of, of you know it, it, all about what the power in your head, really, what you can achieve. And, and what you believe you can achieve versus, versus what you really can achieve if you start taking away those mental roadblocks. And uh, I continue listening to his podcast to this day. Uh, I see him as a really inspirational figure. And I use the lessons in that. Well, it's not strictly about business. It, it's not really about business at all, actually, when you look at it that way. But all of the lessons in there, you can absolutely apply to your life and business. Mm-hmm. And I'm all about, like I said, leading from the heart. And, and I, I think, well, I need to sort of embody this sort of, I don't know how best to describe it really. Um, it's kind of live how you want to live. And that, that, that should be then translated into how you lead your business. Yes. And if you, you carry the way you want to carry your, your personal life, your, 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 your close intimate relationships, your, your family relationships, and then your colleagues and business relationships, yeah. there really shouldn't be too much of a distinction between the them. Yeah, and that's how people follow you because they see that they see how you're living your life actually in some ways many of our best guests on the show come from referrals so i'm always curious is there somebody who's who's impacted you you know an ceo who's inspired you uh who you see is really up to big things in the world um i I give this a bit of thoughts actually beforehand and there isn't a single person i can say is is absolutely there my inspiration i've had hugely influential people in my life my ex-boss at Deloitte, a guy called Paul Kaiser, who, who is the first person I worked for when I moved into corporate finance. And I've never never lost touch with him because he's an inspirational guy to me because he opened my eyes to the difference and the impact you can make on people in business, really, compared to when you're in audit. And I thought against audit, but it's very sort of very narrow in what it's trying to achieve. Absolutely. Uh, in corporate finance, it's, all of a sudden, it's really wide. So that, that was huge on me. I guess the other guy, though, who I have a huge amount of respect for, and it's nice how you can find out because I probably haven't told him, this guy called Frank Miller. He sits inside my peer group uh, and he's the chief exec of a company called CPI uh, based in the Northeast. And it, it's a laboratory type business and you create, you know, helps um, other companies, you know, uh, 
gives them an environment to do some testing, et cetera. He was involved in, uh, you know, the antiviral drug testing, that kind of thing. And he's moved into that role in the last couple of years. We sort of helped him move a transition into that role as part of the peer group. And he's got to be the deepest thinker I have ever come across. You know, we're, we're all good in our positions of chief executive, et cetera, of peeling layers back. You know, we're very good at asking good questions, aren't we? We can delve into people quite easy. I find it easy. I find it good fun. Yeah. Uh, and he can go to another level. Right. <laughs> and and he is he's inspirational when you listen to him. And he's such a calming, a very calm person as well. I, I find him uh, enjoyable to talk to and listen to. And, and I always seem to come away thinking I've learned something. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. Thank you for you know celebrating him in this moment. It's uh, yeah, I've I've got a couple of clients in there. Yeah, you know, the deep thinkers. You know, um, I think I'm I think I'm quite intellectual, and then these people are seeing the future of their industry right ten years yeah. out and this kind of stuff. It's it's great. I, I, exactly the same. You know, I think I'm quite good at what I do, and then I meet him and talk to him and things he's dealing with. Go, no, I've got a lot to learn. <laughs> <laughs> So finally, no matter how much you've achieved, there's always the next level to get to. So where do you, what are you going to have to do differently as, as chief executive for the H&H group to continue to expand and develop in, in all these different ways? It, it, I, I always talk about, when you, when you think about it in the business arena, I always talk about uh, legs on the stool. That's, I always refer to that. It's just not, I like that analogy and it, it sticks with me that I need to both strengthen and maybe increase in number the legs on the stool uh when we got here it was quite it was accepted that really we had one strong leg that's all we had and 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 my sole purpose given to me by the board and absolutely right was i need to strengthen the other legs so we're getting there that with that one but we're not by no means finished with that that that, uh that task so i need to uh continue strengthening those legs on the stool and potentially create new ones Uh, when you think about what's going on in the world in the future what's going to change I need to make sure that H&H are in a position that it remains relevant for the future. That's the phrase I use a lot, that it remains relevant. And to do that, I think for me, to me, it's all about I need to continue learning. I, you know, I can only do that if I can be the best version of me I can. And, and I think I'm a long way from that. I think I've got a lot to learn. I've been in this position for four years uh, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I feel like I've just scratched the surface of learning how to be a chief exec. I think I've got a long way to go to be, uh, you know, what I would consider a high-performing or high-learning chief exec. Um, and, and actually, I enjoy that. I, I find that element really good fun. And a huge thing about what I carry with me is that element of fun. And I, I use it a lot with my executives. I use it a lot in the, like the entire business. If you're not having fun, then I'm, I, and me as a leader are doing something wrong. So I need to continue working on creating that environment where you work hard, but you can have some fun. So so, so I guess to me, it's like keeping learning and, and learning through experience. I'm, I'm not a huge believer of you can learn just to reading books. I think you need to have experience. You need to have conversations with people who are better than you, some interesting people, coaches, chief execs, ex- all those kind of people who have been exposed to lots of stuff and, and, yeah. and ask have conversations and be humble and listen, mm. listen well. Yeah, I, I love that. Yeah, I think it's uh, some people will see they get to a certain role and they've made it, right? But I always think that's the jumping off position for the next, <laughs> the next, the next curve, right? The next uh, 10x, whatever that's going to be. Yeah. <clears throat> What's that exponential future that's going to 
that you can't even imagine now. Mm. Uh, in fact, I, I say I got my CEO community together last week and we were really pushing each other on that. Like, we all know we have a probable future. We can possibly imagine our possible future. Mm. But what's impossible? You know, what right now doesn't even feel it's even on the map. Yes. Um, I, I love that. I love that conversation. And, and, and I would have never have done this, say, five years, five, six years ago mm. without in, in, in being in this role and, and to, to go in kind of the, the sort of journey I've been on and that little bit of self-belief in there now that actually obviously you should be thinking of, of the impossible and and I love that that actually I try to teach that and instill that into my team yeah. what where could you go where, yeah. where, what, what, where can you possibly go in your wildest dreams where could you yeah. go absolutely well that's a great moment to a great place to leave it I think Richard hey this has been a fun conversation you know we've dived mm. into this you know really interesting business that you have um I think you know your your love for for learning, for people, you know, the um, scanning, finding new opportunities. Um, I think this this real perspective you have that your role is securing the future for your successor is, I think, is a beautiful definition um, of leadership in so many ways, right? And it often gets overlooked. So thank you for sharing these and all the other insights. It's been a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Okay, Richard. Well, let's, let's um, stay in touch. I'd love to hear uh, how this, this journey progresses. It sounds like you're just at the beginning. Absolutely. Will do. Take care. Bye-bye now. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Now let's talk about you. When you're in top leadership, when you're in the biggest role of your career, who supports you at a deep level as you lead others? Who helps you multiply your impact and get to the next level? If you're ready to learn more about our content, our coaching, and our community, then visit us at xquadrant.com.